Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent tech analyst in my company, J. Arnold and Associates. I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another podcast. Welcome, indeed. And this is the, I guess, the post-U.S. Uh, Thanksgiving edition. So we are slowly getting back to <laughs> to, to non-Turkey-related things. But uh, I've had a good break, and... Uh, Plenty to do, getting, getting back to things now. I have enough energy today, several days after eating all that turkey. So yeah, it's, it is a lot. It is a lot. We're re-energized here. Yeah, and ready to go. So speaking of ready to go, uh, we have our, our listenership is, is trending up nicely, folks, for those who are keeping score. And that's the only score I'm going to give you, but it is uh, going in a good direction. And we're happy with the, the growing... Take, take we're getting from people signing up and also finding our podcast on the various platforms. And, and it's, it kind of changes month to month. You know, sometimes these countries will pop up that I wouldn't expect outside of North America. Uh, and that's just, you know, the way the internet and algorithms kind of go sometimes. But uh, the main thing is, is, is we were developing, I think, Chris, a pretty stable uh, and loyal listenership. And we have been another indication of that, of course, is that we are getting feedback and uh, suggestions for what we're doing well and things that they're that are resonating, I think, out there with our, our audience. And I know you've got another update for us today. Well, I do. In, the, in our feedback from the audience section here, I do have one item. I got a, got a comment that our, well, this particular listener thought that we had made some good comments on surveillance um, and how that relates to everything else that's going on with technology and said that sort of the, the line between monitoring for good purposes and surveillance is something that's going to be very important, not only to organizations, but to the workforce, um, you know, people want to understand about where their data is going and what's private and what isn't, although they understand that, you know, a certain amount of monitoring uh, of various kinds is necessary and sometimes can make things work better. So, for example, if you are counting the number of heads in a meeting room so that you can tweak the meeting rooms over time to adjust the actual group sizes better, that the, the question is, are you just monitoring unidentified data that is just representing a person, or are you trying to monitor who's in there? So questions like that, you know, that uh, uh, are going to be more and more evident as the use of IoT and AI and computer vision and computer audio analysis, which you've talked about, grows. So I thought that was a good comment. And you know, to our listener, we will continue to vote to make that one of our topics over time. We've talked about it several times, and it's something that I think is on our mind too, right, John? Yeah, it sure is. And yeah, you know, thanks as always. You know, we'll take we take all all the comments to heart for sure. So we appreciate getting that. And 
We're going to talk about some of my recent conferences, uh, one being Zoom in a moment. And uh, boy, that sentiment is uh, loud and clear when we, we got to the uh, site demo at their headquarters showcasing what they're doing with meeting room technologies. You really have to ask those kind of questions out loud because the technology is getting so prevalent, like everywhere, it's just getting baked into every process, every environment we seem to be in now. So that capability uh, is certainly there. And, you know, you come back to Google's old mantra of do no evil, and you just have to hope. And, and this just leads to all kinds of needs for, for good governance, right? And, 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 and strong policies about, you know, use of technology. And of course, it cuts both ways, right? I mean, there's, there's bad actors on the employee side as well, who will, you know, can also cross those lines for, you know, malicious purposes, especially espionage and stuff like that. And so, it's it's certainly not just an issue for the uh, organizations, but they certainly bear, I think, the bigger uh, bigger burden there. I agree. I agree. And you know, there is a point of view that says, with technology, you have to worry about accidental evil as much as you have to worry about purposeful evil, right? So you can say, do no evil, and maybe that implied originally, well, don't do anything that is questionable or you know is bad. But the problem with technology, and it's really coming to fore with things like surveillance, is you can start out to do something really good. And you think, oh man, this is great. It's a great application, works so much better than anything else. And you can actually end up with a lot of side effects that you didn't intend, right? And then that's always as much of a consideration as trying to avoid deliberately doing something that's bad. Yeah, all shapes and sizes. And, you know, you don't have to look any further than how Musk is handling things at Twitter to know that when you do take a heavy head with these things, you know, it generally doesn't doesn't end well. And, and what I mean by heavy hand is if you look to how countries like China are using these technologies very specifically for it's not hidden, right? It's for surveillance purposes to keep and not just the general population in line, and you're seeing this now with the uh, pushbacks against the uh, the restrictions with COVID that keep coming up. Yeah, the, the the heavy hand is like you know they're not being shy about anything. This is what we're doing, and better get in line. And you know, obviously, has all kinds of issues way beyond what we're talking about here. But uh, yeah, so it's really it's 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 in the hands. It's how it's used of the people who have it, not the technology itself. And that's that's always been a standard thing, right? Tech isn't the problem. It's how we use it. Yeah, yeah. But I guess the point I was making is in addition to heavy-handedness, you have to watch collateral damage or collateral effects or network effects that you really didn't think about, like you, you weren't intending to cause. You know, and you can have that happen even if you're not really taking a heavy hand. Yeah, um, And there's an example with Zoom and Microsoft, because I want to get into the where in the world was John Arnold segment here. You know, so you could talk about your travels and events last month. But, you know, both Zoom and Microsoft are investing pretty heavily, and they're not even the only ones. Anybody who's in the conferencing business, Cisco, and everybody probably are investing in ways to get more use out of those relatively expensive room level conferencing systems. And they're trying to make them more adaptable and more flexible and more immersive 
than your sort of traditional, very expensive um, custom AV job that our audiovisual job that it would take to do room level. And one of the things that some are doing is saying, well, hey, I have all this data. I know who got who booked for a meeting. I can add some voice recognition. I'm gonna put this technology in, for example, to make cameras automatically point at who's speaking, which is it makes the ambiance of the meeting for remote users far better. So all of this is good stuff. And oh, by the way, I can sanitize this data and I can kick it out to corporate real estate so that they have a pretty good idea of who's using the room without having to put all kinds of sensors in. Uh, more than they want to. So all that's well and good, but you can easily imagine with all of those good intentions that could, you'd have to do that very carefully to, you know, not have some discomfort result from that, right? And so this, so with that, perhaps we can roll into the the Zoom and the other events you wanted to talk about, unless you have a comment right away. Yeah, no, that's 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 good, and it, and it is it is consistent with what. Sure, certainly was on display at the uh, Zoom uh, Zoomtopia event. That's their big branded uh, get together for the broader world, not just um, not just the analysts. So this is going to be very interesting because um, we know the fabulous branding and growth that Zoom saw during the pandemic. So it became its own noun and verb in the lexicon, which was wonderful for a startup company. They've done a really good job. They've got about a bazillion hours. And, you know, those of us who use it, I would feel most could say have had very, very few problems with it, unlike many of its forebears. So, but since we've come out of the pandemic and when all the usual players, Microsoft, Cisco, Google, et cetera, et cetera, have started to realize that that, that this is this that there was a need for a bump up and that Zoom was eclipsing them in certain ways. They've now come in with big investments. They're trying to have next generation stuff. They're trying to integrate the Zoom like functionality with all the other things they do. Um, these bigger companies. So let's talk about Zoom. What did they say? Well, when asked after giving an update of you know all their bottomless pit of of uh, innovations and, you know, add-on features. You know, he says, this is Eric Juan, the uh, CEO of Founder. You know, he's a very fun speaker to watch. He's always very upbeat and happy and funny and all this. And so when he says to the audience, so people ask me, what's next for Zoom? Because they just seems to be doing, they seem to be doing everything imaginable. And all he says is, so freaking much. Because he's, you know, they're so excited about all the things, and that's it's it's great to hear that because it's kind of like you know they're going to stay on the ball with innovations. Now at the same time, I mean, how many features can you add to a <laughs> to a UC platform? I guess we're going to find out. But um, you know, you've got to keep that excitement level high. And as you say, Chris, they were a huge beneficiary of the pandemic. And but now that Zoom has become so uh, sorry, video meetings have become so commonplace. It's like, where do you go from here? So they are it, it, they're a fun company to watch because they are very much fast innovators. Right. And they'll fail fast, too, like every every good technology company does. But I think it's a good indication, though, aside from this is, you know, the market is so competitive. You have no choice. You have to keep innovating. But it's always better when you have companies that are very innovation driven 
um, for something that is fairly mundane when you think about it, just trying to do meetings. But it just shows you how when you really focus on improving the experience, you really can come up with some interesting twists to keep to keep it interesting and of course for them to keep a step ahead of the competitors from the last episode we did chris you probably remember i talked a little bit about uh about cisco and their webex event and you know it's a very similar what we heard there we heard here you know all the new features follow a very similar trajectory um and it's not that it's so much a copycat thing but amongst the the, the heavyweight leaders in this space, you know, the, these two companies and certainly Microsoft Teams, they all have to kind of keep a certain level of feature set coming. Otherwise, otherwise you know, they, they'll look like they're falling behind. So that's a bit to be expected. But the, the, the energy that you see from the various speakers there about the innovations that they're doing, are it's great to see. There's the standard everyday stuff about the tweaks you can do to make meetings more interesting. And they talked a lot about, you know, whiteboards, for example, and using a lot of the AI for basically it's it's the stuff that everyone else is doing too, though, but to, to, you know, do meeting summaries, right. They have a new thing called IQ for sales, very similar to what a company called gong.io is doing, where you're taking kind of like that you use AI to extract the conversations that salespeople have with their customers and you take it from the high performers, right? And you basically, you know, you distill the recipe down. This is how a high performing salesperson handles certain inquiries. It's a great way to up-level the training for new salespeople. And I'm sure sales has its share of turnover in any industry. And so this is a good use case of speech recognition and AI and machine learning, et cetera, to kind of take the best practices and kind of boil it down to stuff that new people can use to get up to speed more quickly. That, that was good. I, I'll take, I'll stop after this one more thing, Chris. They spent a lot of time at, they took us to headquarters for a demo of all the different pieces. They, they have a, one of the new features is room scheduling where, you know, you can tap into a big uh, digital signage thing where you can find out, you know, what spaces are available uh, in the, in the, in, in the building. And so once it goes into this like smart system, you know, you pick your space, you, you automatically send invites out to everybody and they all show up very efficient. And like you said earlier, Chris, this is gold for the realist corporate real estate people to see how spaces are being utilized. So I think that's a good use of the technology, but I think too, Chris, the flip side is, you know, now, someone out there knows everything about what everybody's doing, where and when type of thing. So there's definitely that sense that we're all wearing like almost like a tracker on our ankles or something that we're, our whereabouts are known just about all the time. I think that when it comes to scheduling, though, and, for example, conference rooms, we know about 80% of that now anyway. It really, what you learn is whether somebody actually showed up or not, that kind of thing, like attendance data, which you can derive now from whether somebody signed in or not, but it's harder to do in a room because there isn't like everybody logging in like there is on a remote Zoom. But it's interesting that you say that they're getting into that because Microsoft is trying to do that too with spaces. I'm not entirely sure what Cisco is doing, but 
my bet would be if they think that's a thing, they're going to do it too. But that's a very interesting juxtaposition of of um, of areas of functionality because there's a fairly entrenched is the wrong word, but common set of vendors that do that right now. But my my feeling as being a participant in all of this industry is that that it's not unified enough right now. Uh, that level of functionality versus scheduling utilization of resources like rooms, you know, physical resources. And so in theory, there's a there's an opportunity for, I think there's going to be M&A in this space as well, but also for big integrated vendors to get in there and try to do that. They, you know, the first iteration of it may not be that great, but um, yeah, I do I do definitely see it. It's interesting that Zoom is getting into that because you could argue that if the big vendors, the Googles, the Microsofts, the Cisco's get into into combining allocation of physical assets and management of physical assets and monitoring with the virtual with the with the communications itself, then that the Zoom is going to have to do that, right? Yeah, and it shows how they're, you know, they have to cast a broader net to get beyond just video meetings and UCAS. So uh, they're kind of bringing it all under one hood where they're calling their whole kind of suite, they call it now Zoom One. So the idea is the, all, all the tools are in one place. And the, the, the logic is, you know, you can be all Zoom all the time, just like Teams wants you to be all Teams all the time and WebEx all WebEx all the time. They're all fighting for that kind of, it's a little bit like getting the smart pipe into the home, right? Whoever can support everything uh, for a home with, with cable or, or satellite, whatever, will kind of win the whole home. And I think that's the play that Zoom is doing here, but not just the whole enterprise, like the office space, but they are also trying to do this to make the home environment just as interesting. So they, they call it doing hybrid better, where the idea is, yes, we're talking about in office work environment, but we also have to balance those out of office opportunities. So clearly, you know, they're the ones who have made a lot of the home working uh, viable, but now it's much more than just having a, a good video connection, but it's all those other pieces that I mentioned, like whiteboarding and even the scheduling, because you can certainly be scheduling from home. You know, I'm Thursday, I'm going to be in the office. I want to get these meetings done. So it's a good way to kind of manage your time. No problem there. The, the one I, I do want to mention, though, Chris, before we move to the next one is one of the demos that they showed. It was a it was a pre-recorded video. They have a partnership now with Tesla. Now, maybe that's not the best company to partner with under, you know, Elon Musk's brand. But uh, what they're trying to show is they're extending that smart experience that you can have in the office to being in your car. So they had a pretty good demo of what they're installing, their own kind of video monitor in the vehicle. And, you know, the dashboards today are getting so big and complicated. Just they look like airplanes now. There's so much going on there having a video monitor in there isn't so out of place anymore. So it just shows that you can very efficiently dial into a meeting from your car and have everything that you would do in your home environment. And I think that's a recognition that when we talk about hybrid work, it's not just the home as the alternative to the office, but for a lot of people who spend a lot of time in their car, that's just as an important part of their workday. 
um, as it is sitting around the dining room table or whatever. So I think it's for better or worse. That's a, an example of how they're trying to extend the, you know, the Zoom experience beyond just what you do in the office or at home. And that this is, you know, the, the new way of working type of thing. I agree. Well, that is it's fascinating with the car. Glad you glad you mentioned that. I mean, I was thinking about this actually the other day because I drive a somewhat ancient car, so it wouldn't really wouldn't really I'm, I'm, I'm attached to it, but it's it's old enough where the Bluetooth scrambles up the iPhone sometimes. But, you know, if I had a Tesla, basically the Tesla mon monitor is a dashboard dashboard is a monitor, right? It is a big monitor. It's a big TV. And so it would be natural to have some kind of integration. And I think I think if you did if you did a purposeful and well designed integration with a car system, then it would actually be safer because right now, as I thought when I was driving a couple of weeks ago and I had to dial into something, it's really difficult to do unless you have the very latest CarPlay or whatever the Android is for cars or something like that. If you're on the road and you're driving, it's actually kind of dangerous to try to get connected. And it was easier when it was a phone because you could conceivably just program the number in right up ahead of time with some commas and just hit the button at the right time. Um, but with, with the applications, it's harder to do because they're kind of largely predicated. They have telephone numbers sometimes associated with them, but they, they're not very good at telling which one you need. So I think if they, I think if they integrated with the car as a workplace, that would be a really innovative thing. So, so that sounds like a good initiative. And because Tesla is basically a computer with a car attached. I mean, most cars mm -hmm. are, but there's, there, you know, it's very high tech the way it's engineered. That could very easily be a good one to start with. Sure, sure. Of course, you know, also sounds just like a Silicon Valley match make, you know, match made in heaven kind of thing that, you know. That's who they're going to play with um, rather than partnering with a Ford or GM or something like that. That's not in Silicon Valley, but that's okay. I mean, again, it's that innovation theme that is always great to see. Like, what else are they going to think of next kind of thing? Um, and it, it just elevates this conversation well beyond just communications technology, right? Right. And if we were going to boil it down, maybe what I'm hearing you say, and you tell me if this is right, is that Zoom is always going to look for the, you know, to be a first in some new area uh, where it can command a lead and hold on to the turf and, and integrate it more with the rest of what it offers versus being sort of a fast follower or a me too. Well, that's that's for sure. And but, you know, not everything they touch turns to gold yet anyway. So, no, you know, of course, yeah. they talked a lot about their efforts to do contact center and they're, you know, they, they're kind of going it alone at this point. And uh, that is not a technology or solution you can just cook up in six months. Um, so, you know, the reality is that it's going to take a while for their own homegrown play to mature. So, you know, they have existing partnerships like with Five9, for example, that was their partner. Uh, they, you know, they tried to acquire them, of course, but they're still working together. And uh, clearly there's going to be cases where their homegrown contact center isn't really up to speed for customers they're trying to win. So they still have to keep those existing partnerships with contact center guys warm because they're going to need them to close some deals. So they're in that kind of transition mode, but 
something tells me, Chris, that they will play a little more uh, uh, openly or, or cooperatively than the way a Microsoft might play, where, you know, once they've got the customer, they will squeeze out the partner if they if they can. We will see. Right. That's an interesting watch this space, that whole area, that whole that whole expansion beyond communications. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like Cisco, too. Right. You know, when they have these adjacencies with these partners like HP, you know, well, at some point they decide we're going to do this ourselves. And, you know, you, 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 what was once a partnership becomes you know, a competitive scenario. But that's how tech has always kind of been, I think. So, yeah, no, I agree. So it, was that your main points with Zoom? You want to go on to Twilio? Um, yeah. Reminding everybody who Twilio is for a minute. Yes, so they, you know, they have been uh, in this. They've been in the market a while now, um, but they're because they're not native to what we typically do in communications technology. We don't really see where they fit, but they they've come out of mostly the messaging space and have been doing this for a long time. And you know, to boil it down, the the, the way to think of them is what we call programmable communications where their platform is built on APIs and off-the-shelf software. It's not proprietary software, and their CEO, Jeff Lawson, made a good point about that. So, for example, if you want to build apps on a Cisco platform, you've got to have Cisco certifications. Well, with Twilio, it's standard stuff like Java, and, and there are lots of people who have capabilities there. So they're trying to make their platform open to uh as, as possible to developers. Um, so the story with them is that they have, they've latched on to kind of the digital marketing uh, world where the, the, the method of choice to engage with customers has been, a lot of it has been built around messaging and email campaigns. And this is not the world of the UC, but the spaces are becoming like everything else more and more adjacent. So the expertise that they've built up in finding ways to tap all the data from customers, turning that into marketing pitches and converting inquiries into sales, that's a very powerful uh, combination. And they've done pretty well with it. And, and the fact that they can have these API driven up you know, offerings means that you can do a lot to customize communications and messaging to customers. And that's kind of what tips the balance in your favor because when you can develop, sorry, deliver personalized types of communications, that's what we respond to as customers and potential buyers, right? And so they're, they become very, very good at that. And they're transferring a lot of that capability now into the contact center space, which is now spilling into a bigger opportunity for them because now they're selling across these silos in large enterprises that deal with you know, customer acquisition, which is sales and marketing, and customer retention and customer satisfaction, which is the contact center. And they're kind of, this is a very disruptive play because they're coming into spaces that they wouldn't normally be thought of as a player, but they're taking a completely digital, completely AI-driven and very data-centric approach to everything that they do. And they, they're, you know, they're really good at it. Um, and it shows in the kind of growth that they have. And they know that there are a lot of pain points that the conventional technologies have not really been 
keeping up to speed with as fast as customer needs are evolving. So um, again, Jeff Lawson, he cited a good statistic to support his argument that CRM, for example, does not equivocate, it, it does not equate to customer engagement. The customer engagement he's talking about is building these relationships that turn prospects into customers. But in the contact center world, he likes to say that, you know, there was like $69 billion spent on CRM last year, but customers having a great experience is only a fraction of the, the, the majority. So it's only, he says only 13% say they have a great experience. So there's a real gap there that all that money that's being spent on stuff like CRM isn't delivering the kind of engagement that, you know, really matters. So that they're trying to address that shortfall. And that's where they're playing really well because they're all about digital uh, transformation, using data and making it personal. That's really not an easy thing to do, to do it at scale, but you know, that's what they're built for. And uh, you know, they're always becoming, you know, they've always been one to watch and now they're, you know, their critical mass is sufficient that you kind of have to pay attention to what they're doing. Well, just kind of reacting to what you're saying, I could see a couple of pretty interesting things there. So first of all, on the idea of being an API rather than a soup to nuts, visual interface and everything else, like a lot of systems are, you know, I think that's going to get more appealing over time because I think a lot of brands want their own face to the customer and they don't want to look like they're using some product. They, they want to look like they, they spend the time to design, you know, if was, I'm thinking about banks, for example, they, which is a big user of, of this kind of technology. So they design their, and retailers, they design their website, their apps, you know, they want you to use their, their portal, so to speak, and to be able to add all the communications under the surface. I mean, this is one of the reasons that Twilio is as successful as it is. So the more they offer in that respect, the better. And my second comment is that your distinction between what Twilio does and CRM. So CRM, which is customer relationship management, because we always try to name an acronym somewhere. Customer relationship management has always been more of a database technology. That's how it started, right? So it was a tracking thing. You know, who were my customers? When who was assigned to track? Who was assigned to cover them on the sales side, on the team? Um, you know, who, who called them and when or visited them, you know, what were the notes from that, all of this data stuff, which is not the same as communications. And I think some of the vendors like Salesforce are really trying to branch off into the communications real time stuff. But Twilio kind of does that. That's in their core DNA. So, you know, their, their point about that distinction seems pretty valid. Don't you think? Yeah, I do. I do. And again, it shows how when these outsiders come into these spaces, you know, they're not a contact center replacement and they never will be, but they're showing that there are other ways to approach customer satisfaction issues. And, you know, they're not taking over the world with it, but they are definitely having an impact and showing what's possible when you have a really good data-driven platform that can do this stuff, as you say, Chris, in real time and also at scale. And that's what these big brands are looking for. Um, and the bottom line is what, what, what another thing, things that, well, another thing that Jeff said that I really liked 
is that the kind of the winners today, the ones that really differentiate in the market, it's about how they execute with digital tools. So, you know, everyone, you know, there's tons of companies making similar products and how do you stand out? It's all about the digital experience today. And if you're in that world, you know, the data is everything. And they've understood that from the beginning. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a pretty valid vision. Absolutely. So, John, I'm calling a bit of a time check. I, we're going to we're going to ask our audience to bear with us probably a little longer this time because there's a lot we're talking about. It's the last podcast of the year. So bear with us. But um, do you think that you should or with it, we should spend a few more, a couple of minutes on Maviner, which was your third your third encounter of the month or, or event of the month. Yeah. Um, and then maybe we could spend a minute or two recapping a couple of thoughts about the year. And perhaps in January, we can have our what's going to happen in 2023 edition. Yep. Stay tuned, folks. We will cover it all. So, yeah, deep in the heart of Texas. So Maviner was in Dallas. And uh, I'm just going to say two simple things about that. Uh, this is a company that's not a household name, uh, and they're in the wireless infrastructure place, which is a kind of an adjacency to what I look at. Their big competitors would be Nokia and Ericsson. So much like Zoom is competing with the likes of Cisco and Microsoft, you know, these are the big, big players in these spaces. And again, what, what I like about their story, similar to Twilio, is that they are kind of an outsider not so much an outsider, but they're a disruptor. They are coming to the market with a similar philosophy to Twilio in that their view is about having open, uh, smart networks that are built similarly, like Twilio says, on programmable network communications. But in this case, it's more about infrastructure than communications. And they get a lot of pushback against this because that they're going up against the models that the Nokia's and Ericsson's have built their successes around. Um, but they're, again, they're hitting on pain point that carriers have taken on a lot of debt to build 5G networks. And now they have to find better ways to monetize their networks. And one of the realities in this space is that the smartphones that we use as consumers basically have more native intelligence than the networks that the carriers have. And that's part of the shortfall that they're hitting up against. How do they catch up and create, you know, innovative new services that play to the strengths of those smartphones? And that's kind of where, where Maviner comes into play, because the point is that the innovation that drove smartphones came from the open marketplace. It was not so much about proprietary technologies, but that open marketplace allows innovation to happen faster. Whereas with carrier networks have been built around a lot of proprietary platforms that have been just very difficult to kind of have a fast, you know, innovation track. But now companies like Maviner, that's their kind of raison d'etre. And they say, well, no, we understand that problem set and we're coming to you. But for them, you know, we're not talking about UCAS and contact center in this world. Their world is about what they, they refer to as enterprise 2.0, industry, what they call 4.0. And this is more about the smart applications of wireless technologies. And one of the great examples they showed was uh, at an open pit mine, believe it or not, where they're using wireless technology to have autonomous vehicles do a lot of the work. And uh, it's very complex, you know, integration of all kinds of things, but they're addressing problem sets that 
aren't what we see in enterprise, you know, collaboration environments. But when you get into that industry 4.0, every sector has its needs that wireless networks can really play a key role in. And that's really all I wanted to say about this. But I think they're tapping into problem sets that may not be every day for you and me. But in the broader world, you know, the carrier customer base is very, very wide. Um, they're trying to show how carriers can make a play to get beyond, you know, the smart, sorry, being the dumb pipe provider as the one that has these well-developed applications that serve a very specific set of needs. Well, I think that's pretty fascinating. But so I would, would love to put a kind of a placeholder there because I think that whole concept of who's smart and who isn't in terms of the systems is a fascinating one. It risks being a little bit geeky, but we could certainly have that in a future episode because I do think there's going to be a battle royal coming up between what is, and it's a, it's really a, not anything new because they've been at this for years and years, but there's going to be a new chapter with 5G and some of the stuff that's coming with Wi-Fi and some of the integration between Wi-Fi and 5G as to who extracts value where. So maybe we could talk about that in a future episode, do you think? Great. Yeah, yeah. And, and we, we had made reference last episode to private private 5G yep. networks and as well. So this is all kind of that that's their their world. Yeah. Yeah, sounds really interesting. So look forward to talk more about that. But in the time we have left, such as it is, what do you think are one or two um big things that you would take away from 2022 looking into the next year. Yeah. Yeah. It's that time for sure. And, and to me, the big, the big one is, I think is the way we've had to come into this hybrid work model, right. Where previous, you know, a year prior, it was still mostly the work from home thing. And we've touched on this on various episodes. And I think the reality we all have come to the conclusion is that hybrid work model is very, it's harder to do than it looks. And I think the, this year was going through a lot of those growing pains and recognizing that, you know, for those, when the when we had a more robust labor market, the great resignation was kind of a, a sexy thing to do for workers. But now that we're going into a tougher market in 2023, you know, it may not, workers may not have that much choice and, 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 you know, labor mobility as they might have earlier last year. So there's going to be this trade-off of, well, I better keep my job for now. So maybe be a little less cavalier about the things that I really want to have as the perks and just say, how do I keep my job going and how do I make it work if I'm going to be at home, but then also having to go to the office that balances been you know a learning curve for all of us that to me is the big takeaway um for 2022 i agree with you i agree i'm going to comment though that i don't i i see this business of remote versus in office work choice maybe a little bit less binary than you do because i don't think working at home is always a perk and again i want to go back to I want to go back to something we've said many times where we tend to talk about a slice of the workforce that has a lot of choices and that represents certain specific kinds of jobs. But, you know, one of the things that came out during the pandemic was that because of work from home technology, many people who had real challenges having to come into the office every day, whether it be caregiving or 
child support or um, you know their own um, uh, abilities, um, you know, it, it, or or just simply affordability of housing where they had to live, uh, markets they chose to live in. They 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 did attain a lot of freedom, and this resulted in a more flexible workforce. And so this tension which you did talk about about you got to be in the office versus you don't i think is going to have many chapters i don't i do think there is going to be a segment of the population where the employers are just going to say you know kind of tough and they're just going to put out fewer job wrecks you know with with remote work as as the core component there was an article in fact over the weekend i think it was in the wall street journal or the times about the fact that fully remote job postings have declined by half, whereas in in office or hybrid postings have gone up. So I think you're right that there's going to be a lesser opportunity to do fully remote. But I think there's going to be some aches and pains along the along the way. And I think all companies are going to have to address how do we find the best people given the widely varied circumstances that people may find themselves in and how does that relate to specific jobs so i think the big that was the big earthquake in 2022 and i think it's just going to continue in 23 you know what i mean i agree as well yeah not that we have to agree on everything we have to we have to we have to fight a little bit folks to keep it interesting but yes that i i i think that's the big story um the flip side of that too is on the for the sellers of the technologies. Of course, there's been such a there's been such a uh, focus on you know owning the market. So the consolidation stories are very uh, much uh, uh, you know a takeaway from 2022 that sets the stage for next year. And I think in our next episode, Chris, we'll talk a little bit, bit about that. What I think or what we think the landscape is going to look like because there will be change coming. I think there will be fewer vendors in the market as 2023 um, unfolds. So hold that thought, folks, because uh, we need you back for the next episode, right? Right, and I just wanna say on behalf of both of us, how grateful we are that we have you to listen to this podcast. John, it's just been wonderful to have another year working with you and I'm looking forward very much to 2023 and to everybody, we probably won't be back until after the turn of the year. So we just want to wish you a happy and your you and yours a happy and healthy holiday season. However you celebrate, hope you get some time to rest and relax and spend time with your loved ones at the end of the year after a after a busy year. Right, John? Couldn't have said it better. So I won't. Yeah. Oh, well said. Okay. Well said. All right. Okay. Great. So Thanks we are again. Yes. Thanks again. And yes, we very much appreciate your listenership and you're sticking with us here. And we're going to go into season six next episode. So we're growing. Yay. Wow. Season six. Yeah. Well, okay. So time for the outro. And it's here it comes. So we thank you for listening to today's episode and your uh, support. So we hope you enjoyed it and that you'll continue as we explore the future of work here on Watch This Space. You can access all of our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And if you like 
what we're doing here, please leave us a review or a rating. And of course, the comments, we always like to see those. We're trying to make that more accessible on our website. And uh, with that, I am going to sign off. John Arnold here. I'm Chris Fine. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy the end of the year. Thanks, John. And we will see you next year for Watch This Space.